as God's children, we have something amazing to look forward to. I find so often as God's children, we feel like we're, this is hard, that's hard, I've got this, I've got that. Man, we are victors. And Romans is an amazing book. I feel like today is we're going to take some time to look at one short passage. <clears throat> Every passage, you feel like there's a whole treasure box in front of you. There it goes. There's a whole <laughs> box in front of you. And what do you look at? How do you take some time? What do you, I feel like there's a thousand coins in here, and we only have time to look at one coin. But all of Romans is that way. It's just so packed. That's not the Holy Spirit. So we're going to take one coin today, and we're going to focus on just one treasure that's in the book of Romans for today. Before I get started, though, I do want to share a story with you. I... Like Pastor Jeff said, I grew up in Indonesia, but I also had the privilege of serving there with my wife. Our kids grew up there. And we had the privilege of bringing the gospel to the Moi people, a people that had never, ever, ever heard. They had never been contacted by civilization. Nobody knew they existed until we heard that there was a possibility of some houses seen in the jungle. To make a long story short, we flew out by helicopter, jumped out of the helicopter, and God did some amazing things. We weren't sure if they were cannibals or not. They were not. They did not eat us. But during those first few days, we were never sure if they would eat us. We weren't sure if these were killers. We weren't sure what they would do with strange white people jumping out of the air amongst them. And so we were very careful. You don't want to offend anybody. They always had a bow and arrow in their hand. They always had a weapon. And all I could see was a weapon to kill me if necessary. So we thought, we don't even know their culture. We don't know what's played. But we're doing our best to try and guess what's played. And one day I was on a trail with one of the men. And we had been asked to carry, um, well, the helicopter was leaving for two weeks. We were going to live with the people, try and build some relationship with them. And so there was a bunch of food down the hillside and sacks of rice we had to carry to the house in the area that we were sleeping. And so I, we were taking turns carrying these sacks of rice up, and we were going to have enough to feed the people. And during this process, I got alone. We had been kind of been trying to be careful to never be alone with anybody in case that was their chance to kill us. So we tried to always be in pairs, but for somehow I got separated with the rest of my team. And I'm walking down this trail with the man. We couldn't even ask him what their names were, so we gave everybody names. We called this man Gimme, because everything we, we had, he was asking for. Give me this, give me that. So we just called him Gimme. So Gimme and I are walking down the trail, and we come up, and I was hungry. We were trying to be careful with our food. We have two weeks before the heli comes back. Very remote part of the world. Maybe to hike out would take 20 days. I don't know, long ways out. And so we were being careful with how much we ate. So I was hungry. We're walking down the trail, and all of a sudden I saw this stalk of wild bananas hanging over the trail. And my goodness, did that ever look good. Imagine walking into Sobeys, and you haven't eaten for long enough. And there's bananas. Of course you want one. So I'm like, oh, boy. But then I thought, can I just pick one? That'll get me shot. Will it? Will it? I don't know. So I thought, well, maybe he'll offer me one. Well, sure enough, as he's walking by, he picked two bananas, and he handed me one. Oh, this is awesome. I get some, my first banana in Moy Land. So I watched him. Yep, I didn't know if he knew it was okay to eat it. So I watched him. He ate his and kept walking down the trail. And I thought, good. So I opened my banana up. I saw something I've never, ever seen before. I saw a whole community of maggots in my banana. And I just wanted to chuck it. But then what if he catches me? Is it worth the arrow, or is it, what, what would they do? I don't know what they would do. 
So I'm looking at those bananas, I'm thinking, you know what, it's one banana, it can't be more than 50 maggots. I can do this. So without a lot of to-do, I peeled it the best I could and I just put it down, I swallowed it. And let me tell you right now, maggots live a long time. You can feel them. No exaggeration. I could feel them going down. I could feel them in there. And I'm thinking, that was a bad idea, but better maggots than an arrow. So we moved on. He kind of noticed, didn't think a lot of it. We walked down. We got our rice. And I thought, okay, I passed the test. We're good. But as we're hiking back up, I thought, I hope he realizes I'm not hungry anymore. I don't want more bananas. But of course, we go right by that banana tree, and he puts his sack of rice down, and he picked a banana for him and a banana for me, and he handed me the banana. Now what do I do? I really don't want another one. But now he sits down, and he's just watching me. This is so not fair. So I take the banana. I thought, you know what? I think I can do this. But I better look like I like it. So this time I peeled it, sure enough, you can always pray there's no maggots, but no, it was a whole community. And so I took that banana, I thought if I chuck it down, it looks like it's, and he's watching. I did something not quite right the first time. So I took a bite, crunch, crunch. It wasn't that nice just banana flavor, it had a lot more. So I took a bite and his look in his face said one simple thing. I didn't know a word of their language, I couldn't speak to him. But he spoke to me a whole lot in one look. His look simply said, you stupid white man. <laughs> he looked at me like, what planet do you come from? Not his, I guess. So he grabbed the banana from my hand. And with this, now you've got to realize, these people have never washed anything. They believe evil spirits are where water lit. Li evil spirits live in water. So they don't wash anything, ever. And here's a man, probably in his mid-30s, never washed his hands. Imagine what they've done. They're black. And he starts, he grabs them, and he starts with his thumbnail, flicking the maggots out. Now, my banana's turning black very quickly as he's flicking out the maggots. And I'm thinking, which is worse, the black now, black banana or the maggots? And he flicks them all out, and then he hands it back to me to eat. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure which is worse, but I can do this. And it didn't have the crunch anymore. So I ate it. He seemed content, and we started walking. But as we were walking, I thought, Lord, what was that all about? Why did I just go through that experience? And I remember distinctly thinking, Lord, I don't ever want to do that again. And can you teach me now so I don't have to do that again? And as we are walking up the trail, the guys in front of me, they don't wear a stitch of clothing, just a gourd, but I'm behind them, so there's nothing, no clothing on this man. So he's butt naked. He's got his bow and arrow, he's black, he's dirty, and at this stage I could also smell them very well. And I'm walking behind and I'm thinking, Lord, what can I learn? What do you have for me here? And all of a sudden I am very confident as the Lord, the Lord did something in my heart, and I don't know audible voice, but I just had a clear, clear sense. It says, Tim, you're looking at this man as a naked foreigner, no language, you can't communicate, he's carrying a bow and arrow. You're looking at the weapon he carries, and you're wondering what's going to happen to you. You're looking at him as a savage, ready to kill you. And the Lord just impressed on my heart, Tim, how do you think I'm looking at him? His clothing style, my clothing, doesn't mean a lot to the Lord. 
whether he had a bow in his hand or not doesn't mean a lot to the Lord. Whether he had washed his hands or not. He, I just had the sense that the Lord saying, Tim, I look at him as a man with a soul that doesn't know me. And he needs to know me. That changed my impression of the boy that moment. Up to that point, we'd been there about three days. I can remember those three days. Every time they sat close to me, and they always sat close, I always smelled them. They, they just smelled quite strong. And their bow and their arrow and their clothing and the women with only a little bark. Everything was just standing out to me, and I was missing the most important thing. These are people with a soul whom God loved. That had a big impact to I me. Mean, you know what? From that day forward, I never remember smelling the moy again. I, I, the Lord did something in my heart as only Him. But I never, ever saw them as smelling. I never noticed the bows and arrows the same. I saw them through God's eyes. And God wants us to do the same thing with the people around us. And in this passage, He wants us to do the same thing with mankind and specifically the nation of Israel. And we're not going to camp on a lot of these. It's like we're going to take a coin out and look at it. Let's do that. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, opening your word is a privilege. Time to study and to read aloud and to publicly speak is a privilege. May we never take that for granted. And as we take this time now, Lord, to open your word in Romans chapter 11, would you thrill us with all that you've done? Would you thrill us with the amazing privilege of being called your children, your people? In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's read the passage together. You guys all have sunglasses on. I'm going to put on magnifying glasses to burn my eyeballs out. <laughs> Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have, have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive, receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. I would love to keep reading, but that's Jeff's privilege for next week. <clears throat> Paul starts off with the heartbreaking statement. He says, lest you be wise in your own eyes, brothers. Does that ever stop and just break your heart that God has to tell us to be humble? We are the created. We are, we know it. We are born losers, honestly. Left up to us, we are on the path of destruction. We don't know much. We make mistakes. James chapter 3, verse 2 says, Indeed, brothers, we all make many mistakes. And that is so true of every one of us. And yet, we get proud. And Paul says, he's speaking to the Romans, people in Italy, the church there in the capital of Italy, Romans, don't get proud. 
because he had emphasized how now God in his grace had poured out his mercy on the Gentiles. The ethnos. Same word. The nations. And they were getting proud, saying, yeah, God is done with Israel and he's chosen us. We are the ones he's taken on now. And Paul's saying, no, I've got to take some time to make a, a, a mystery opened up to you, to make you aware of what God is doing. And that's what he does in this first verse. He says, don't get proud. A partial hardening has come upon Israel. And it's true. Israel has been partially hardened right now. You look at a nation, God has done so much and seems to continue to do so much, and yet they will not submit to God. Will not. Generally, the Jews are rebellion against God. But he says a partial hardening. And I believe Monday, Jeff is going to be sharing with you, Pastor Jeff will be sharing some testimonies with you of different Jewish people around this world as Jews are turning to the Lord and Jews are still getting saved. I know some Jews and amazing testimonies. I've, I, my dream, and I have not been able to do it yet, but I, I know there's Messianic synagogues throughout North America where there are true born-again believers in Jesus Christ, but they're Jews, and they practice in a Jewish culture in a synagogue, but they're Messianic Jews. God is and is saving people in the Jewish nation, but generally they are hardened. But he says, until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. There is a day coming, and Jesse appreciated this song, but the day that you and I will be called and the redeemed will stand before the Lamb. Our day is coming to an end, and God will once again focus on Israel. Verse 26, and in this way all Israel will be saved. Now, that's, read some commentaries on that phrase. What does it mean? Does it mean every Israelite will be saved? No. All Israel is a nation. There will be a major change. He does not say every Israelite. There will be Israelites. There will be Jews that will still rebel against God. But generally as a nation, there will be a turning. And this is how Paul sums it up. He takes three different passages from the book of Isaiah, and he kind of just combines them. And the Jews would recognize, or the Jews would recognize, I don't know how well the Romans would recognize this. <coughs> he doesn't give the passages. He describes three different passages from the book of Isaiah and puts them together and says this. The deliverer will come from Zion. Some, passage, some versions would say Jerusalem. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob or Israel. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Jesus will still be the Messiah of the Jews, and they will recognize that someday. They will have that opportunity. <clears throat> the next two verses I would like is just to stop. And when we stop and look at these verses of the next, the next two, there's something highlighted here called the irrevocable gifts and promises and calling of God. When we're in a tribal setting, we're teaching people that have never heard of God, they've never heard of Jesus, you're presenting for the first time. We always start in the book of Genesis. We always start with Genesis 1-1, establish that there is a God, an all-powerful God, a creator God, and a God who cares and loves for mankind. For the more that blew their mind, they have piles of evil spirits. They had no concept of a good spirit who actually cared for them. This was a new revelation that there is one spirit and that he's the all-powerful spirit. He's the creator of all and he cared for them. We did not have to convince them. We weren't with them very long and their wish doctor said, Oh my, there's something about the white man's God and spirit that is way stronger than all of our spirits. 
And when we were finally, after four years of study and study and study, ready to start teaching in their language, they were ready to listen. They were convinced of the power of this God they hadn't heard about. When we're teaching them, everything is new. But there's a few things we emphasize because it's emphasized all through Scripture. One of them is God's heart for all people, the nations, the ethnos. But another aspect we have to emphasize, and it comes up over and over and over again, is what God says will happen. The wages of sin, is it when I stand here, do I need to move around? or I'd go lower, but that's too low. I won't see my notes anymore. The wages of sin is death. He told that in Romans, but he told Adam and Eve, if you take that fruit, you will die. That is true. It can't change. But when they did sin, he says, I will send a redeemer. That is also true, and it can't change. God always keeps his promises. And he does not. He's not the kind of God that gives a promise to Freddie and then gives it to George. Saying, well, I still gave it to somebody. No. If God makes a promise to Israel, that promise is for Israel. He does make a lot of promises for you and I. Amazing promises. Amazing. I shall never leave you nor forsake you out of Hebrews. You know what that is? That's a triple emphasis in the Greek. I will never, no, never, or ever leave you. God will not ever leave us. Wherever he sends you into ministry, service, life, they're the same. <coughs> he says, I am with you always. Wherever he puts you, he has a plan to walk with you. <coughs> that is not a COVID cough. <coughs> Six feet. His promises are irrevocable. Let's read this next few verses. As regards the gospel, they are the enemies for your sake. He makes a statement. Yes, because all through. This is the end of chapter 11. At the end of chapter 11, Paul makes a transition in Romans. The first 11 chapters are a treatise on salvation. He is looking at salvation from every imaginable angle. And he has emphasized that it's for you and Gentiles, but he's also emphasizing here, but it is still in the future for the Jews too. The same Messiah, the same Jesus. But in the meantime, for now, he's taken down that middle wall of partition. It's for the Jews and the, and the um, ethnos alike, equally. <clears throat> but for now, they are enemies so that us have a chance. But then he says, but as regards election, as regards to God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their forefathers. God made a promise to Abraham that he has every intention of keeping to Abraham and his descendants. That will not change. In fact, in Genesis chapter 15, this amazing, strange thing to us happens. God is with Abraham, and God says, Abraham, this is all going to be your land. All of it. See it? That's what you can see is yours. And Abraham says, God, I, how do I know that's true? It seems so impossible. How do I know you're going to bless my descendants? And how do I know with one, maybe two sons, I can have children like the sands of the sea? How do I know? And God says, well, Abraham... Go out and get a three-year-old heifer. Get a three-year-old goat. Get a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. And cut them in half. Now we looked and we like, what? We're familiar with handshakes, signing our names. We're, now we've become familiar with electronic signatures. They're all binding. God is doing a cultural binding promise with Abraham right now. 
in this covenant he's describing. He says, get these animals, lay them out in half, and lay them apart from each other. Now, typically in that culture, what you do that, and then the two parties that are making the commitment walk between those together, and that is an unbreakable promise. It's like a signet ring by the king. You can't break that covenant. So God then does that, but something is different. God doesn't say, no, Abraham, come walk with me. Let's walk through this, because God knows Abraham can't keep his part of the promise ever. So God puts a deep sleep on Abraham. Abraham, you can't do a thing about this. I'm going to do this. And then God himself walks between those animals that have been cut in half. That is his promise, his covenant that is unbreakable with Israel. I will keep my promise to you, Abraham. And he says it here that it's because of his beloved love for the forefather, which is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will keep my promise. Verse 30. I feel like I'm speaking from dancing pages. Verse 30. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy, <clears throat> because of their disobedience. Just this week, in fact, about three days ago, I learned something new. I learned that my three-year-old grandson is a theologian. Seriously a theologian. A little off in some of his theology, but an amazing theologian. He just told my son this week, about three days ago, my son Brant said, I don't know what he had done, but he did something wrong. Three-year-old. And Brand says, Jackson, why did you do that? You know what his answer was? Pretty theologically sound, a little off. He says, Daddy, when I was a baby, I obeyed. Good point. But he says, now I get bigger and bigger and bigger, and now I don't obey. And then he shrugged and put his lip out, Brand says, that happens sometimes. That's where he was wrong. It happens all the time. As we get bigger and bigger, we all disobey all the time. That's us. He was close. As he gets bigger and bigger, I disobey. Sometimes. All the time. Brothers and sisters, Israel needs the mercy of God. Us, the Gentiles, we need the mercy of God. Man is bent on rebellion. God is bent on mercy. As much as sin defines us, mercy defines him. And Paul is going to go on to say here and say, listen, Romans, those of you struggling with pride because you seem to feel you're better than the nation of Israel, you also were at one time in rebellion against God. So they too have now been disobedient in order that the mercy might be shown to you also may now... Let me read that again. So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. He, Paul is saying, Romans, God chose Israel, but he's rejected them. They, they're right, today they're an enemy of God so that you have a chance. But don't get proud. God will also show his mercy to Israel as he has shown mercy to you. And as he is now showing mercy to you, he will show mercy to Israel. I don't know why, and we're going to look at the last ver or first verse of Jeff's message at the end. I don't know why it's this way, but it's God's way. We don't have to always explain it or even understand it. It is God's way. God rejected Israel for a time being for you and I. Don't walk in pride, but walk in humility. Paul's trying to emphasize that to the Jews here. <clears throat> Verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy 
on all. A couple thoughts and in closing. Sorry. Somebody could turn the wind down, that help. Amazing statement. God has consigned all under disobedience. And he has consigned all under mercy. That he might show mercy to all. Anybody familiar with Romans 3.23? It's probably a verse we all know. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All under disobedience that he might have mercy on all. When you read a verse like that, where does your mind go? Thank you, Lord, that you showed mercy to me. That's good. But he didn't just say you, it's to all. And I just want to take a couple minutes to challenge us. What does he mean when he says all? I wonder if it's the same all that we find in Matthew chapter 28. When Jesus was crucified, when the promised Redeemer in Genesis chapter 3 finally happens and he's crucified and he pays the consequences by his own death on the cross, the shedding of his blood, he paid the price for all sin, for all mankind, for all time. He paid the price in a horrible, horrific death. He was killed, shed his blood, then he was separated from the Father and he was in the grave for three days. <coughs> the price of mercy. He doesn't freely, he does freely give out mercy, but it didn't cost him nothing. It cost him his life. His mercy to all was expensive to him. Free for you and I. It's a gift. It says in Romans 6, 23. You guys have been through that. He showed his mercy to all. He is crucified. Then he says, now meet me in Galilee. He said that before he is crucified, I want you to meet me in Galilee after I die. When the ladies go to the tomb, the the, the angels told the ladies, do as he said, go meet him in Galilee. The ladies take off to tell the disciples to meet him in Galilee, and they run into, Jesus, run into Jesus, and Jesus says, don't be afraid. Go meet me in Galilee and tell the rest of the disciples that. Why did he emphasize that? Because he had an important message in Galilee. They rush off to Galilee, and there in Galilee, they meet Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, and Jesus says, now, I've paid the price. All power has been given to me as a result. He always had it, but now it's been completed. It has been complete victory stamped on every one of his children. His plan and his blueprint has victory all over it. He says, now I've been given all power, all again. Now go and tell all the world. Go ye into all the world. Brothers and sisters, God's heart was not just for Israel. And it wasn't just for us in Charlottetown. It wasn't just for us in PEI. It has always been all the world. Israel made it about them. And there's a period they've been set aside. In his grace, would we say, God, help us to be about all the world. You just went through this recently, but going back one chapter, Romans chapter 10, verse 12. Read, listen to this. For there is no distinction <clears throat> between Jew and Greek. This is salvation today. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his mercy on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not everybody does. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? 
And how are they to hear without someone preaching? The Moi would never, ever, ever hear unless someone went and told them. There's still 2,000 ethnos groups, nations, that have never heard the name of Jesus. We have a job to do. 2,000 languages that have no clue. They're not ready to stand around the throne that Jesse was singing about because they haven't been told. Most of us are called to stay right where God has planted us. But a few of us are called to go. Pray that amongst you, God would send people. We have a short time until the Gentile time is fulfilled and then it's back to Israel. During this time, let's be faithful to all the world. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? That's, we're all either called to be sacrificial senders or sacrificial goers. Ask God what you are and do it. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Chapter 15 of Romans, you're going to see it again. Paul says, boy, I'm driven to preach the gospel where it's never been preached. We have it. Praise God and thank you. Now let's be found faithful to be carry on his mandate. For most of you, it's to stay right here. But have a heart to send. To go through your prayers. The one request the Lord Jesus made over and over in his time on earth was pray that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. The laborers are few. The harvest is white and ready. <clears throat> the last verse I want to look at is Jeff's verse for next week. Amazing, amazing verse. Romans 11.33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How, how unsearchable are his judgments and unscrutable, unscrutable his ways. Why God does things the way he does, I don't understand. But he makes as clear as he possibly can that I love Israel, I love you Gentiles, and I want all of you to be my children. And why is this so important? Because someday we're going to stand around the throne that Jesse was singing about as the redeemed before the Lamb. And we're going to stand around that throne. What a glorious day to stand. You and I, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Greeks and the, the Israelites together as one family, and Jesus will be thrilled to finally have his family all together. That's us. Let's live for that day. Don't just think of today, but be living for tomorrow. God's tomorrow. Eternity when we stand around that throne. We have an amazing Savior who gave his life for you and I. Let's continue to give our lives in any way he calls us to. And if you're called to be on your knees 30 minutes a day, 3 minutes a day, or to go around the world, that's irrelevant. That's up to him. Let's all get engaged in his passion of the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we read passages like this, and the first time you read it, it's like, oh, what is he saying? Twenty times we read it, and a hundred, Lord, there's still things that just don't make sense. And yet there's enough in here that we can glean from. Your irrevocable promises that you are coming again. You will work with Israel again. And that you are calling us, and you will be faithful as you walk with us as we walk in obedience to you. Thank you for these promises. Thank you for the privilege of being your child, your children, and your church here today. In your precious name we pray. Amen.